0: You're listening to the Christ in All podcast, where we discuss how following Jesus Christ impacts all areas of a believer's life. Each week, we will answer questions about the Christian worldview in an effort to help both new and mature believers grow in their faith. We hope you enjoy.
1: Welcome to the Christ in All podcast. This is Chad Hunsberger, and with me today is Drew Baum. Drew, how are you doing today?
0: Doing great, Chad. How are you?
1: Excellent. So Drew serves here on our staff at Colonial Heights, but interestingly, that's... That, it's. This is not a question today that really has anything to do with you being on staff or what you do here. It has more to do with something from your past that I thought it'd be good to get some extra insight on from one who, uh, yeah, like used to be a Methodist, a United Methodist. Uh, in your growing up, correct? Yes. Actually,
0: I was thinking, uh, and funny thing enough, the first church that our, was in our family neighborhood was actually a Presbyterian church. Oh, wow. So I'm, I'm well rounded. Yeah, that's there. good. Nice, nice. It was Methodist when I was about six. We started going to Methodist yeah. church.
1: So um, the reason I, I say that, kind of the, there, we have done a couple different podcasts, one about uh, Presbyterians and what they believe, one about really a different religion in Catholicism and what they believe in. And, and now thinking of, uh, the Methodist Church and specifically the United Methodist Church, like like right. other denominations, Presbyterians have Presbyterian has a name, but there are, there's the Pres- PCA, there's the PCUSA, right. and others. Baptists have Southern Baptist and Missionary Baptist and, and others as well. Uh, and and so Methodist also has more than one branch of sure. Methodist. Uh, I want to go back a little bit. I'm going to say this part and then get you to share some insight. Sure. Uh, So historically, we're thinking Methodists. This is because of guys like John and Charles Wesley, uh, these brothers um, who really kind of came into things with a method for uh, evangelism and discipleship. And that. so because they had a method, because they had a plan, but they kind of called it a method— that meant that those who followed that method became methodist that's right um guys like john wesley again charles wesley both of them um preachers writers songwriters um and those sort of things uh circuit riders as they were called like they would travel and preach and and uh, on horseback uh and do those sort of things uh contemporaries with george whitfield and and those guys um <clears throat> they were uh yeah, like, evangelical, like, significantly wanting to make Christ known, uh, definitively wanting people to not just, like, say a prayer, but wanting them to grow in their relationship and live a life of holiness, and, and all of this kind of fell under this Methodism, so to speak, that, that again, then later became the the Methodist uh, denomination. Right. Yes? Yeah. Um. So... All of those things sound like things that we as Baptists would affirm and agree with, but they have some differences. That's right. And now, fast forward the tape, there are some uh, theological differences that are significantly different for us than... Uh, and we'll we'll talk a little bit about that. But I want to talk about um, two things in particular. Uh, one is confirmation, and one is baptism. That's right. So... Um, could you share with us a little bit about what you know from your personal experience in regards to either one of those, whichever one you want to start sure. with?
0: Sure. And they kind of go hand in hand yeah. uh, because if you're not baptized as an infant, typically Methodists will baptize as an infant, kind of like Presbyterians do. But if you and w- that, let
1: me just qualify that would not bring about salvation. Correct. It would be in the same way Presbyterians is. is It is a speaking of covenant type of language. That's right. That's
0: right. And so if you had not done that as a child, when you get to confirmation, which is typically the age of a sixth grader, you would get baptized then. They do baptize by sprinkling, uh, unlike the Baptists who baptize by immersion. Um, But when you get to confirmation, confirmation, they take the sixth grader, typically a sixth grader, and they partner them up with a a counselor, someone that's going to walk through a curriculum with them. And in that curriculum, it is... uh, basic theology, who God is, who Jesus is, um, the Trinity, things like that, and you spend a, a significant amount of time. I remember what the, one that I, the lady that I met with who was really great influence on my life, but we met weekly mm-hmm. for a while as you go through this curriculum, and then when you get to the end of that, there is a ceremony in the church. You go before the church, and the ones that need to be baptized are sure. baptized at the time. Um, but the part about confirmation is th- th- I think they kind of if you want to look at it as like an age of accountability, they Mm -hmm. they mark that time frame as when to go through uh, that stuff with um, the theology in that book with the sixth graders.
1: Yeah. A couple of things I would say. One, that doesn't seem all too bad in the sense of, hey, around that age is a great time to be asking some deeper questions about theology or uh, understanding of the Bible. And uh, those things don't seem like a bad thing. What, The reason we would kind of push away from something like that is twofold. One, that I know of people, and I'm sure you do too, who look back at confirmation without any sort of decision that came with it, and would say, "Okay, I was confirmed, so I am a believer." Um, And there are we would say that some could certainly uh, choose to follow Christ before that. Um. And I remember uh, I, in college, I, I led a guy to Christ who was in college, and he had been confirmed, and so he kind of had to ask some new questions like, wait, I, I realized I went through all of that thing and never really turned my life over to Christ. Now, that can happen in a variety of ways, but the confirmation piece uh, almost pushes that a little bit. Would you yeah, say? and that's...
0: And that's my story as well, I I was not a believer after I went through confirmation. Mm-hmm. I, I know for a fact that was the case for me. Um, and my testimony, I was raised in church. We were in church all the time. And the good guy, be the good guy, mm-hmm. do the right thing. Um, and I was a good kid for the most part. Um, still a sinner. Sure, you know, still, sure. You know, Still needing a Savior. But it wasn't until probably um, seventh or eighth grade when I started going to um, FCA, mm-hmm. Fellowship Christian Athletes, meeting... Um, and was really hearing the gospel for the first time. Now, that doesn't mean I didn't hear it in church. I'm sure that I did, uh, but that's when I know for sure. And it's interesting. I was listening to a podcast recently about this, and there's a guy that uh, he he had a similar story. He had been going to church his whole life, and I think raised in Methodist church, but at some point realized that he wasn't hearing the gospel. And so then he started making it a part of his life to try to actually save Methodists, is the way Mm -hmm. he put it, uh, to actually make sure they are hearing the gospel I don't necessarily think it's the church as a whole that was not properly proclaiming the gospel, but there, there is a handful of Methodist churches that were preaching maybe feel-good sermons or, you know, talking through some of the Bible, but not ever getting to the fact sure. that you, there's a need for you to turn your life over to Christ. Yeah. Um, and so it's interesting, I was when I was listening to that podcast, I was like, it's really similar to my story yeah. Uh, yeah. as well.
1: Okay, so so you have these two pretty significant parts, both baptism and confirmation, which are so so baptism by sprinkling yes. not by immersion and typically baptism uh, as an infant it can happen at confirmation and if i'm correct if you you can come into the methodist church at any age so if you're coming at 40 they would also want to to sprinkle baptism at that point yep right yeah but, but you just don't see it as it much it just for doesn't some happen reason. as much yeah um and And I think of mine, but but again, pedo baptism typical confirmation and and or baptism at that point. Uh, and then anybody can come into the church as a believer, yep. later.
0: And I think typically you you would look at it just as a baby dedication. That's mm-hmm. that's not how they not the emphasis they put, but if you were standing in their room and watching, that's what, was what going it would on, feel like. It would feel, I mean, the whole white dress, oh, sure, sure, outfit sure. kind of thing, the whole nine yep. yards..
1: Yep. um, okay. So now, uh, another another piece to to think about even more recently is that the uh, the Methodist Church is not completely autonomous like the uh, the Southern Baptists are and so they they sit under a uh, a ruling body that in fact if I remember correctly um, like in some cases the Methodist as an organization, owns property versus the church that does. And then um, when a pastor is selected, it's selected by both the congregation and like a bishop that helps. Really more so their, the bishop. You right? really don't really get a whole it's lot of like, say as a congregation. That's right.
0: My parents recently went through something where the bishop had uh, assigned them uh, as actually a, a lady. There's another mm-hmm. change. They allow women to be lead pastors. Um and I know there's some Baptist churches that sure. allow that as well, but for the most part, Southern Baptists. Yeah. not. But um, they, and it was it didn't turn out really well. She mm-hmm. was uh, very liberal minded, uh, spoke a lot of politics from the from the pulpit, and so you the negative of that is when the congregation doesn't get a lot of say. Is you don't know who you're going to get. Right. There's times when they've had great ministers, mm-hmm. and. For some reason, even if things were going well in that church, it does not guarantee that that, they stay. that they stay. And right. so the bishop may say, "Okay, well, we're going to move you somewhere else." Mm-hmm. And it doesn't appear there's any rhyme or reason to why right. they do that. And so it definitely it makes s- it difficult
1: for not as many long-term correct uh, situations.
0: Um, they also divide up. You're talking about the difference. Uh-huh. They divide up in regional. Yep. So some of the other stuff we're going to get into with current state of it. Uh, the the some of the southern regions mm-hmm. are kind of this believe this way, and some of the more northern or west coast regions mm-hmm. that they have it um, are different.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah. So the the most significant thing of late is that there has been a couple different times where a vote has come up f- to be voted on in regards to specifically homosexuality and whether or not it's a sin and homosexuality in regards to leaders, uh, particularly pastors, uh, being affirmed into leadership as active homosexuals. And so there are obviously two different ends of that spectrum and two different beliefs. Um, The vote has been postponed. As you were just telling me a little while ago, the vote has been postponed a couple of different times. times. And so because of that, it is, um, yeah, it's not, like the answer still isn't there, but there have been several uh, in the Methodist in the United Methodist Church to say we're just going to we're seeing the writing on the wall, yeah. so we're going to go ahead and and remove ourselves and become uh, independent, non denominational or whatever. And then there's another group who's more conservative still within the Methodist that are seeking to start a new denomination called Global Methodist, that's is that That's correct, right?
0: and that's the conservative side. Yeah.
1: So you'd have United Methodist that might be more on the liberal end, and Global Methodist, which would be on the more conservative end, specifically regarding, uh, probably even regarding women uh, as pastors, as well as uh, the whether or not homosexuality is a sin. Um, one of the things that I think I have learned, too, from you is that, just like anything, just because someone is a Methodist does not mean that they affirm... Either of those things—that's part of what's really challenging for them right now. Would you would you agree with that?
0: Absolutely. And what's interesting, actually, on their books, on their laws that they have set up, is it still says there's not allowed to be a homosexual, yeah. but there's enough in power that are pulling. And actually, there's a bishop. There's some bishops that I think are homosexual, mm-hmm. and they're not supposed to be on there either. Right. And they have like sort of like what we call Supreme Court within the Methodist group mm-hmm. that. Has allowed this to take place, even though they're not, they not even following what's on the books currently. Right, what
1: they have is their own bylaws, or so to speak, and or whatever they would call it.
0: It's also interesting that the last time they were together and were voting on this particular issue, that they—they they thought they had enough votes, but it was actually the global—not mm-hmm. this, this group hasn't started yet—but the Methodists in other countries that helped sway the vote back to the conservative side. Mm-hmm. Um, especially Africa has a lot mm-hmm. of Methodists. Um, and it was the, the global, the other uh, four. international. Uh, yes, the yeah. international ones are ones that help sweat, keep the vote. Mm-hmm. But the official vote for to change all that is still, they keep kicking that can down yeah. the road and I haven't come to that yet. Yeah.
1: Well, I, I think one of the things that that, that calls for us, uh, kind of in, in a response, is that we want to really be praying for this denomination and Absolutely. the people in it. Um, Methodist historically have been on the evangelical side, have been wanting to make Christ known, share the gospel, do the work of, uh, again, globally, internationally, reach the nations. Uh, What has become so inward in a focus of trying to get this thing right, whether liberal or conservative is what they think is right. And obviously we would land on the conservative end of that, but because it's become so inward, even those that were nation minded, those that were, uh, evangelical-minded, that we're saying, we want to make Christ known in all the earth and by our neighbors and to all nations, they're so having to focus on this other matter that, that is a gospel-centric matter and should be addressed. But because that argument is lingering and lasting so long, their, uh, their activity toward the gospel has been prohibited. And so we want to pray against that as well.
0: Yeah. Um interesting my parents went to a meeting for their bishop in their area and it's it's just like a lot of things in politics these days it it appears that there's a small mm-hmm. group that is the loudest voice sure and the more they talk to each other and talk to other bishops there's actually a, a still great large number of people that don't lean that way right. but it's this it's the the what the, the other voices they get all the noise get yeah. all the publicity yeah And so they're still kind of fighting through that too and trying to make sure the truth is being portrayed. And Mm -hmm. that's what that bishop was having that meeting for. This is what you need to know and don't believe everything you hear kind of thing. Sure. There's also uh, another part that I didn't know about, found out that there's a fee that they have to give in. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so some of the churches that weren't doing well financially post-COVID, they have to kind of catch up with those fees. And so that's one of the things that I think the liberal side's kind of holding over their head Mm -hmm. that you have to pay us this money to be able to drop either drop out independent or... Right. Uh, switch over, so they're they're trying to use some of that as tactics. So it's yeah. it, definitely another, like you say, another means of prayer sure. for them.
1: Anything else you would add about Methodist? I don't think so. I think we
0: we did a good job. Like you said, I think just reminding people that we we do have some significant differences, yeah. but we are united in the gospel, yeah. and and they do need support.
1: And and there are yeah, there are some that we are not united with in their belief, but that's also why there's having such a big challenge. Exactly. And so we're. Uh, yeah, let's let's look for one of those ways. There's other things that we would certainly uh, that they would have more leanings towards than us. Uh, but but again, they would believe in salvation by grace through faith. That's right. Um, at least those that we would call believers. That's so right. Certainly, there are those there for sure. So good. Well, uh, I do hope that this has been helpful, maybe even interesting for you. And so, if you think so, please rate and review, share it on social media, those kind of things. And thank you for listening.
0: Thank you for listening to the Christ in All podcast, a ministry of Colonial Heights Baptist Church in Ridgeland, Mississippi. Together, we glorify God by making disciples of all nations. For more information, please visit our website at colonialheights.org.